podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Fight Club. I'm Gareth A. Davis. It's the last show of the current series, episode 12. We've got a bumper show for you coming up. Moses Atalma, the brilliant, sensational young heavyweight, joins us. Yep, he wants to be a world champion quicker than Mike Tyson was. Frank Warren joins us to talk about the controversial events of the weekend. Mick Hennessy's daughter, Fran Hennessy, is turning pro. And Dr. Mohammed Enayat, a sports scientist who has analysed the findings on Conor Ben, also joins us. All that and more coming up on this week's Fight Club. Well, it's episode 12 already, the end of the first series uh, of Fight Club via Boxing Social. And we have a bumper show for you today. I'm delighted to say, potentially, the future of the heavyweight division is in the studio with me today. Enrico Moses Itoma, otherwise known as Moses, Moses Itoma. The Wrecking Ball. The Wrecking Ball, yeah, we can go with that. <laughs> You're 18 years of age. Yep. You've already had four pro fights. Yep. You used to spar with Joe Joyce, run off after school, age 15, to spar with Joe Joyce. It's incredible, this story. No, it's mad when you say it like that, but I never I never really thought of it like when I was younger. So, um, no, I guess it was just a, another Tuesday evening for me. Could you have ended up in rugby or athletics or mixed martial arts? Have we captured you in boxing by chance or would you think you were always destined to be a boxer? How did it all begin for you? Well, I started boxing at the age of nine and then um, my first couple of sessions I was literally threw up and I was like, yeah, I'm not boxing no more. And, <laughs> me, and me and my middle brother, Samuel, we started playing football. And then I literally just got bored of football quickly, so I just went back to, back into boxing. But while I was doing boxing, I also like I was a very good eight hundred uh, meter runner. Um, I was two time national champion at rowing. So like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of. You didn't go on a rugby kid. field ever. And, yeah, one time when uh, my PE teacher was begging me. And it's literally just because I was big and I was playing rugby, I was running, everyone was jumping on top of me. But because I was just massive, bigger than everyone else, bigger than everyone else, everyone, I'd, I'd just be running with like four or five <laughs> kids on top of me, and I'm literally just got the rugby ball. But no, nah, I never really went into rugby that much. So you're nine. Are you bigger than everyone else, even age nine or not? Yeah, I'd say so. Like heart wise, yeah. But yeah. I weren't. I was. I was tall and skinny, really. So. Yeah. You're still tall and skinny, you know. Have yeah. you not realised that? No. <laughs> no, you're a man mountain. You're an incredible size for your age. Mm. So you, you start at nine. Mm. Where were you growing up at the time? So at this time I was in I was in Chatham, Chatham, Kent. So yeah, I, bought, I was born in Slovakia, lived there till two thousand eight, two thousand nine, roughly, and then um, moved to uh, Luton Road on on Chatham. But if anyone knows Luton Road, it's it's not the best part. So you were born in Czech Republic? 
No, in Slovakia. In Slovakia, sorry. Yeah, you were yeah. born in Slovakia. I don't know why I said Czech Republic. Yeah. So you're born in Slovakia. That's right. How does that come about? Why were you born in Slovakia? <laughs> no, my mum, my mum's Slovak. My dad's Nigerian. Yeah. And um, how did they meet? I don't know. I don't know. But I knew what I do know is that they communicated through Russian. So my mum, <laughs> my mum learned Russian in school. My dad lived in Moscow for five years, and um, yeah, they both knew Russian. And obviously, my mum and dad didn't know English. Um, well, my dad knew English, my mum never. And um, yeah, they communicated through Russian and my dad eventually taught my mum to speak English through Russian. Boxing's a global sport mm. with global warriors. Of course. Y you were born as a child of the universe, it seems. Like, with mad. things from everywhere. Literally. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm grateful for the life I've had. Like, obviously we had to move out of Slovakia because, like... I don't know. Times times have changed. Pe people are better there, but I, I guess then they weren't used to seeing mixed race black faces. So um, yeah, my brother, especially my middle brother, he he got bullied in school, and even like he had really bad asthma when he was younger, mm. and um, he got locked in a cupboard for like five six hours, yeah, just because he was like black. So um, yeah. So there was a overt racism towards yeah, you guys as little was, kids. There was obviously. I don't know, it's even like, even when I go there now, and everyone's staring at me and my brothers, and then it's like, I ask my auntie, like, why are they all looking, and it's like, oh, because you're special. But there you go, because like, you're special. <laughs> that's what I mean, but when I was younger, I didn't realise yeah. what was going on, but, yeah. like I said, I guess it's because they're just not used to seeing them sort of faces. So you moved to Chatham, Kent. Chatham, Kent, that's and right. And you say where you live is... Is, are you saying it's quite rough there as well? No, I said when I first moved to Luton Road. Oh, to Luton said, Road, yeah. 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 It's, it, weren't, it weren't the best. No, I wouldn't say it's... Did you have to look after yourself? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just not a nice area, isn't it? And, um, yeah, I'm just... Yeah, but just that all helped you have that sense of being able to look after yourself physically is what I mean. Does it... Even mentally, yeah, we never really was. We never really was allowed out anyway. So really? Yeah. No, my mum, my mum and dad was literally just book work, book work, studying. So, yeah. And then, um, obviously, strolled to the gym, St Mary's Boxing Club, which is on Luton Road. And then, yeah, it was just that was mine and my brother's excuse to get out of learning. So, yeah, we just went to the boxing gym and I regretted it. I love the fact that you neither drink nor smoke. No. That you have studied. You're still studying or not? Have you no, given no, it up? No. I, yeah. You did it to A level? Uh, no, so I, I got my GCSEs and then um, I went to go for my, is it A levels? Yes. Or what did you do in sixth form? A levels. Yeah, A levels. Or your practical course yeah, or whatever it be. But I hear you're very bright in school. No, I, I was, I was. And um, then I went forward to go for my A-levels. And um, so basically I was I was preparing for the European Championships and um, I missed a couple of days of school. And then after the Europeans, when I came back, um, they basically kicked me out because I never turned up. So it's what it is. I'll just say boxing is my life now. You're managed by Francis Warren. That's right. Who says you are the thing. Um... He's investing a lot in you, believes that you are the future of the heavyweight division. Francis is vastly experienced in the sport. He's grown up with it with his father, Frank. Of course. Under whom you fight as a promoter, who we're going to speak to in a minute. Um, 
You're in a great position, aren't you? Very good position. I'm. I'm literally. I am. I'm grateful for the position I'm in, and I'm. I'm 100 blessed because, like, there's talent all across the world. Like, I've been. I've been to the World Championships, been to the Europeans, and I've seen talent in uh, Russia, Germany, uh, Uzbekistan, and all these other countries that don't get to see. Like what it's like to be a pro professional, or whatever, because their country don't have it. And yeah, I definitely am in blessed shoes to um, to be able to box in front of thousands of people. What's the best piece of advice advice that Francis Warren has given you so far? Just be yourself, be yourself. But I don't know. You're a very it's modest good. young man. I've met you probably five, six, seven times now. You were out in Poland at the weekend. Yeah. To me, it looks like you're totally, this is what Francis tells me as well, you are totally invested in this being your life. Nothing else matters. Yeah, of course. Like, I feel like um, I've got, I give, like, my my life, like, cycles. So it's like, I believe, like, just two years, obviously, to beat the Mike Tyson record. Um, I, just, I just like to think, if I do that, that's my career done. Obviously, it's not going to be, but... I just feel like that's this is my last. It's a target. It's, it's my it's my two years. I need to go hard. Like one of my one of my friends, Emilion, he said, "You're only twenty twenty years, four months, and twenty two days once. You're you're never gonna be that again." So it's like go hard or go home. That's the age, of course, that Mike Tyson first won the world title, and Moses is going to try and emulate, if not defeat that. I think that takes you, is it May 2025? Yeah, around that time. Around yeah. that time, and Francis Warren, Frank Warren are going to try and get you to that position. We'll go into that in, in more detail after this interview with Frank Warren. We're back next with Frank Warren on the Zoom. Welcome back to Fight Club here. I'm Gareth Davis via Boxing Social. Joining us now, Hall of Fame promoter Frank Warren, who was obviously middle, centre and front of the events on Saturday night in Poland. Very unhappy with the decision by Luis Pabon de Puerto Rico, the referee, to allow Alexander Usyk to recover in that fifth round. Frank, as the dust settles, thank you so much uh, for joining us as always. Um, you're very unhappy with what happened in the ring on Saturday night, the decisions from referee Pabon. Yes, I am. I'm very unhappy because it was a legitimate blow. Um, they, everybody seems a lot of people who, who think it was a low blow have gone by the fact that it was it hit the the, the uh, hit the belt line of his shorts, and that is not what it's all about. It should be below the navel, and his shorts were high. Usyk's shorts were high, and that was a legitimate blow. Um, I think Joe Cortez, who's a very very experienced referee, he's a neutral in the whole subject. He came out today. I think he's refereed nearly 200 world title fights and said that was a, that was a, a legitimate punch. And it was. Um, there's lots of, lots, of, lots of backup material, and I've sent a lot, lot of them to you, Gareth, mm -hmm. because obviously your initial opinion was, or your opinion still may be, that it was a low blow, which I, I, I fiercely disagree with. And I asked you, you said you'd seen some 
footage and you sent me i think it was one one uh, one sort of bit of footage of a, a punch it was put together by uh it sounded like a ukrainian who put it together and it shows this punch and if you look at it as a photograph it uh, it looks like the punch has landed but it hadn't landed and it and they don't show it right to the end all they've done they've they've showed a punch before it got to the shorts and it looks like it's a low blow you look on all the other things when you look at the momentum of the punch it comes all the way through and it hits him on the band it was not a low blow and you know with Usyk it's not like he's uh, and it's only since this I've sort of really um looked at it I mean I, I studied his fights and before the fight, my big thing with the fight with, with the camp was, look, you got to go for his body. He's very vulnerable there. I know he's vulnerable. But I look back at the um, of his last few fights uh, since the fight on Saturday. And, like, I, and for example, he went down against Better Beev. He went down against Levitt in 2000, Megadov. Oh, and they were in, all the amateurs, he, they, in the amateurs, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and they were all, and he, he complained about low blows. He did the same thing with Anthony Joshua, yeah. which he complained was a low blow. And coincidentally, the referee for that fight was Pabon, mm, mm. the same referee. But if you go to the rules, and because this this one, although he holds three belts, the defence was the turn of the WBA. It was their mandatory. And if you go to their rules, Rule Thirty says protector. It says a protector, uh, brackets, belt and cup, shall be required for boxers participating in sanctioned fights. The protector shall not exceed the navel or the superior anterior iliac spine. The trunks go one inch over the protector. Boxers should have the trunks and protector available at the weigh-in ceremony so that supervisor or referee may approve or disapprove them. Before beginning a fight, the referee will verify that both contenders use their, use their protectors below the navel. Well, first of all, he didn't do that. You look in the ring, he doesn't say anything to them about protectors. Nothing at all. And Daniel took his shorts to the... Uh, or his shorts were taken along to the um, rules meeting, which is the day before the fight, which mm -hmm. takes place after the weigh-in. Um, and also in Daniel's dressing room, the referee didn't, did not um, even discuss that. Don Charles brought it to his attention. It's on film. And Don says to him about him wearing his shorts like. And his shorts were not, they were much, much more than an inch above his navel. There's no doubt about that, unless he's got the highest navel in the world. So your feeling is that, based on all this evidence, that you feel you've been wronged, uh, you've said it's a nonsense, you want justice, you're quoted widely as saying that today, um, that it split the boxing world, obviously, people feeling it's borderline, I felt it was borderline, that Pabon may, may have made a mistake, there's no question about that. Will you make a full appeal to the WBA then, with documentary evidence? Absolutely, we've got documents, we've got a load of film, loads and loads of films and, and, and photos to back it up. You, I mean, you, you should send me the one yesterday. No one else has sent me another thing. The only other one was from, what's his name, Rap Dan Raphael, saying he wasn't a low blow. He got the wrong punch. And, the, yeah. and it's, it weren't even the right punch. I mean, God, mind you, what would he know about a waist, waist, waist level or a, a waistline? Waist. Um, and the other thing is what the referee didn't do. He didn't even, he just straight away and said low blow to uh, Usyk. 
and just give him that rest. He, that's he done that straight away, which I found very strange. Just and you said milked it then with him in many. Oh, ways. of course, he, not yeah. much. Jesus, you sure milked it? I mean, he didn't get hit in the balls, did he? No, no. So no. he milked it. He absolutely milked it for three minutes and, f and forty-six seconds. Like 20, nearly 24 times the amount of time you'd get for a count, a 10-second count. That's what he did. And Usyk said yesterday in an interview, if the referee had said, got, gone on, and start the sort of referee had counted, he'd have got up. He yeah. said that yesterday. That's and he would have done. Because otherwise, he'd yeah. have lost the fight. Yeah. And, it, and that's, it's just, it's so annoying. And obviously, you've got, it's funny, all the people, most of the people who say it was a low blow, are the usual haters. They either don't like Queensbury or like me. It's the usual your usual faces. So I'm very, very disappointed with that and uh, and the outcome of the fight. And I think it took a lot of momentum away from Daniel and it took a lot of his spirit away, to be quite honest. Um, he's, he, you know, he had a couple of good moments in that fight. Um, I knew it was going to be a tough fight for him from the start, but I knew that he once he could settle down and he could find his range and let those body shots go, he, you know, I believed he would get to him. I mean, I said before the fight, I think he's, I, I really genuinely believed he would stop him if he caught him. And he did catch him and he should have, and it should have been a stoppage. But look, it is what it is. But coming, coming away from that part of it, Daniel's also now got to look back at that fight and, you know, realize you can't feel sorry for yourself. You know, it didn't go his way. Referee did it. So you should have stepped on the gas and he didn't do that. He didn't do that. I know he was disheartened, but that's not what it's about. You've got to grit your teeth. You've got to be Tyson Fury. Get off the floor when you're down. Grit your teeth if you're not badly hurt and get yourself back into it. And uh, anyway, that, that's a lesson to be learned. And I think he's in the same position, really, in some ways as Joshua is in. But thankfully, he's a younger, younger man. So he's got a chance to turn this around. But the most important part of this fight is that this was a out-and-out wrong and diabolical decision so so you will present evidence to the wba you hope it gets uh, overturned and the rematches uh, not necessarily overturned but they order a rematch that's what they, uh, they would do potentially or they could order a no contest if they think pabon has made a catastrophic error um if that happens obviously there's a rematch um unless you sit uh, vacates the belt which he could do as well what happens though if you and i'm not i'm just positing this out there because it's a natural question if that doesn't happen will you sick fight face tyson fury next in the in america uh, in the united um in the middle east or will he face hergovic next we can't fight him in the free places yeah i've got i've gone too far that i have a joke I, I, no, I, for some reason, I had I'm United Arab Emirates in my head, but obviously it's Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so, um, no. is uh, look that fight that look, the objective of the, of, um, of Sassy was the winner of the fight would be in the unification fight with Tyson sometime next uh, in the ne in the first quarter of next year. That's the that was the objective. It's still the objective to get the unification on. So if we can get. A, a resolution quickly on this situation with the WBA, get a rematch, and they could probably do that in uh, in December. Yeah, makes sense. Final one, Frank, today. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Moses Atalma here in the studio with me. Future of the heavyweight division? 
I think he's got a fabulous future. I mean, you know, he's 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 18 years of age. He's got a long way to go yet, obviously, because of his age. But he's got a great uh, work ethic. He wants it. I know he wants it, and uh, and I've got a lot of faith in him. And I think that I think that he he can go in the way all the way, provided he sticks to his regime. Provided, um, I mean, it's for the greatest respect. He listens because. We don't know what all it's all about when we're young. I certainly didn't. I'm still 71. I still don't know what it's all about. <laughs> but um, I think we've got to work out, you know, if he allows, allows me to do what I'm good at doing and certainly let him and Fra him and his manager, Francis, do what they do between them and certainly the most important work in the ring with Moses, I generally think he can get gold away. I mean, he's a very exciting fighter. And there is one more thing before we go. And I don't want to overlook a great performance on Saturday night. Um, Hamza Shiraz. Yes, yes. That was a fabulous, fabulous performance. In the other guy's backyard, undefeated fighter, Ukrainian, front of all that crowd, he absolutely took him to school and destroyed him. Fantastic, he did indeed. A very, very exciting middleweight prospect, this Hamza Shiraz. Frank, we appreciate your time, as always, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, and see you in the gym later, Moses. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Frank. How come you got him out? How come you got him out of bed so early? I don't know, but it's good to get an eighteen-year-old out of bed before nine o'clock in the morning to come to the studio, isn't it? Have a good day. See you later. Cheers, Bye -bye. Frank. Frank Warren there joining us to discuss the controversy in Poland at the weekend. Quick one, Moses. Um, being promoted by someone like Frank Warren with his vast experience, forty over forty years in the game, must also instill great confidence in you a hundred percent like obviously with frank warren like you said over 40 years of experience like he obviously must know what he's doing so it's good to know that there's someone like him and you hear his passion there for his fighter when he feels that his fighter was wronged that's great to have that in your corner of course of course uh, like you said it's very good moses the town of frank warren up next uh, another promoter involved, Mick Hennessy, one of the legends of British uh, boxing promoting. His daughter, Fran Hennessy, trained by Bradley Skeet, joins us. Welcome back to Fight Club here on Boxing Social. I'm Gareth Davis. Moses Talma here in the studio with me. But joining us now on the Zoom, a legend and a legend to be, I reckon. Um, Bradley Skeets, trainer of Fran Hennessy, daughter of Mick Hennessy. First of all, welcome to Fight Club, guys. Thanks, Gareth. Nice one, Gareth. That's a pretty cool shot there for you guys are you <laughs> do you train outdoors in the kind of botanical garden or something yeah we do sometimes we mix it up a little bit <laughs> <laughs> um, let me come to you first friend um uh, i've met you your father mick hennessy who i've known for 30 years is a formidable boxing promoter i never thought he'd be saying to me wait till my daughter turns pro i've got something very special here how on earth 
knowing the complexities of boxing and what it takes to do it, have you ended up in boxing? To be honest, I'm actually not quite sure because <laughs> my dad and mum were very against me boxing, but you know, I kept like pushing them to box. I've been around it my whole life, so here we are. <laughs> How old were you when you first started kind of making the shapes, if you like? Well, um, what, from what I remember, when I was in nappies, me and my brother were sparring in the hallway. So, uh, but no, the first time I properly started boxing, I'd say it was about 12, 13. So, yeah. And obviously your brother boxes as well, NSC yeah. Junior. Um, yeah. So it's incredible, really. Bradley, um, obviously we've seen you, I, I want to say it's, I reckon you've had a 15-year career as a pro, something like that. Round about, just about that, yeah. Yeah, you, you're probably not going to box pro again. You don't. Uh, never say never, but... Never say I'm never, not. there you go. But we've seen you length and breadth of the country, abroad. You're one of the kind of stalwarts of British boxing, highly respected. Talk to me about Fran and how you've got involved in training her. and Because I've seen the footage... I've spoken to many people in the background and people aren't just saying she's here to take part, they're saying she's going to take over. Yeah, no, nah, she's going to be a superstar. She's, trust me, uh, I, like you said, I've been around boxing a long time and I've, I've seen I've seen the likes of boys and, and, and girls, women uh, boxing and, and, and Fran's going to be a superstar from when I first started working with her um, to, to now, the, the improvement and, and the rise she's made and the development she's made in this, this this time has been unbelievable. Um, yeah, please believe me, she's, she's going to light up women boxing. Talk to me about the skill set involved here with Fran then. It just, it's just, we just gelled naturally. I, I first of all started training Michael. Um, Michael yeah. come and we had a few sessions together. And uh, yeah, Fran was, is, was, was obviously part of his, his, uh, his, his, she's Michael's brother, obviously, and she come to the gym. But I, I first of all started training Michael and then done some sh sessions with Fran. She had a national final coming up. And um, yeah, I was helping her out for that. And she boxed, boxed on real one that. And then we just, it just developed naturally. We just, we just started working together, gelled naturally. And she'd come with that natural flair and that natural ability anyway. So I just like, I tweaked it, added my bits to it. And, and like I say, from, from then till now, she we just, it's, we're just going from strength to strength and it's getting better and better. But naturally she, she, she's got it. She, there's just something about her. She's got it. But it just goes back through all the years of, of Mick, obviously not, not wanting her to box and she's just sitting down watching Michael and, and learning that way because uh, there, there's a funny story to tell. They, Michael was out sparring and, and Fran was in the gym and they had a girl in the gym and uh, the girl needed sparring but Mick was like, no, nah, no, nah, Fran, Fran's not sparring, she hasn't got no staff or anything and then out Fran pulls a gum shield and gloves and head guard and that Mick didn't even know she had it and, and gets in and, <laughs> and does really well. So it goes back all, all them years so she, naturally she's got something about her. Have you had to keep it a secret from mum and dad for a while or did you keep it, did mum know and dad didn't know? Uh, no, my mum was more against it than my dad, I think. I think my dad, he always thought I had potential, but he was just kind of holding off a bit, because obviously I'm his, I'm his daughter, you know, he doesn't really want, want to see me get punched. But, um, yeah, I was just following them around, watching what they was doing, practising on my own in the mirror and stuff, and then once I eventually, like, got in there, he, 
he was a bit shocked because he could see that I'd been practicing everything he'd been teaching Michael. So that's how it all kind of happened. Yeah, very <laughs> aggressive style with very fast hands. Caroline yeah. Dubois springs to mind. Um, Oscar De La Hoya springs to mind. Um, yeah. you, fast hands, fast feet aggressive knockout artist is the way I, I see you is that is that fair yeah definitely definitely I think I've definitely got fast hands fast feet I've got an entertaining style you know I'm not the normal style I don't just put my hands up and come like I have my hands down I move and yeah so I'm not your normal style I'm definitely there to entertain people the pro debut's been announced when are we going to see you in action so it's the 30th of September at the, at the York Pool, and yeah, I can't wait, I can't wait to show people my skills. It's one of those special places, the York Hall. You've been there as a spectator before? Yeah, yeah, my brother fought there recently, and obviously I've seen so many different fights at the York Hall. It's a very iconic place. When you look at women's boxing right now, um, yeah. who do you, I don't mean look up to, but who do you see as the pathfinders for us all in the sport? Definitely Savannah Marshall. She's been a massive inspiration to me since I've been a young girl, you know. Actually, she could potentially have been one of the reasons I did get into boxing, you know. I saw the way my dad and Peter Fury were with Savannah and it kind of showed me that this I can do this when I get older. And yeah, she's person not only a great fighter she's a great person and she's definitely someone i really look up to do you think women's boxing is very different to men's boxing there seems to be less trash talk less pushing and shoving at weigh-ins it regarded more of a sport than yeah. uh or regarded as sport by women whereas men have a different feel going into it are you going to take over or not yeah, I, I believe I will take over eventually. Obviously, I'm, I'm still young, but I definitely believe I'm going, going to be one of the best in this game. I was not be in it. Um, yeah, I think women's boxing, as you said, a bit more as a sport where, I don't know, obviously you do still get the odd push and shove, you know, when, um, you know, like the Savannah Marshall versus Clarissa Shields and um, Alicia Baumgardner versus Michaela Mayer. Um, there's a little bit of, like you know, controversy there. There's a lot more trash talk, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I, I believe it might start coming like that in women's boxing, but look, I like it to just—it's just a sport, isn't it? At the end of the day, we're all here to do the same thing. So, what's the best piece of advice Mr. Skeet's given you so far? Just um, I take a lot from his experience. You know, when Brad talks, I definitely listen to everything he says because. Brad, he's a great fighter. He's a great fighter. Still, is a great fighter. Um, we mess about in the gym and stuff, and you see, like he just he's just a natural, and I feel like that's coming off on me. But yeah, as I said, everything Brad tells me, I listen to. You know, in middle of rounds, if you know, he'll tell me, "I'll oh, take a round off. Don't get hit. You know, move around." Just and for me, that's a great bit of advice because people think, "Oh, you you just need to get into a tear up and it's," but it, I'll go into spas and try not to get hit and obviously hit back but if i need to take a round off i'll just practice on my movement and things like that but yeah for me everything brad tells me i'll definitely listen to final one brad did you ever think you'd be training a female boxer in this sport and what's your view on the way women's boxing is developing 
yeah, women's boxing's booming at the minute. It's massive. It's thriving, and uh, I can see it just getting from strength to strength and getting bigger and bigger. So, uh, I've I've been around women boxing, but, but like when when I was on and GB and that, the, the women were just coming through then, and obviously the, the likes of Nicola Adams and the, the Katie Taylors and that. So I've been around, been around it. So it, it's massive, but obviously for me to train one, it, it, it's big for me too because it's a great opportunity. Uh, Especially the, the likes of Fran, I, 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 from from when I first seen her, I, I knew about her from before. But then when Michael come and I see her in action for myself, like I, I, I just I was blown away, and I, I just knew she had something about her, and uh, to, to to work with her, and 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 the journey's going to be amazing, and I'm really excited, and and looking forward to being a part of it, and and watching her grow from strength to strength, and, and going all the way, because like I say, she she's going to be a superstar. Great stuff, Brad. Fran, we look forward to your debut at the York Hall, Bathnell Green, September the 30th. Guys, thanks so much for joining us on Fight Club. Thank you cheers. for having us, Gary. Cheers, Brad. Thanks, mate. Thank cheers. You. Lovely. See you later. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Fran Hennessy there. Cheers. Fran Hennessy and Bradley Skeet there. Moses, women's boxing is booming. Are you a fan of women's boxing? No, of course. It is. It's definitely thriving at the minute. Um, yeah, like he said, the likes of Nicola Adams and Caroline Dubois, and obviously, oh, is Nicola retired? Nicola's retired, oh, yeah. yeah. Tasha, yeah. Jonas, Tasha Jonas, all these yeah. guys, they're the doing thing is, fantastic I, things. I, I used to, I forgot, I think my favourite woman boxer, though, is Ellie Scottney, though. I've, watched, I've been watching, she used to come to my gym to spar one of the girls, and yeah, she's... He's she's hard good. as nails. No, she's good. Absolutely, she's good. she is. And now she's a world champion as well, isn't she? So, she is yeah, indeed. And Caroline, very good also. Like I was on the England squad with her and everything. So, yeah, the death are thriving. We're back after the break with more on Moses Atama and his life in boxing. Welcome back to Fight Club here on Boxing Social. I'm Gareth Davis in the studio with me today. The Man Mountain, still only 18, Moses Itauma. I say still only 18 because you're after this record, Moses, of becoming the youngest heavyweight champion yep. ever. Quicker than Mike Tyson, who was 20 days, 20 years, 4 months, and 22 days. That's right. That takes you to May 2025. Yep. Is that a pressure on you to do that? To get there within, where are we? Uh, just just under two years. Just under two years. Yeah. When In which time you could probably have had another 15 fights? Maybe? Yeah, of course. Like, um, yeah, I guess it does put a little bit of pressure on me, but I'm not really bothered because at the end of the day, I don't fight for no one apart from me and my family. And, and yeah, the, the Mike Tyson record, like I said... It would, it would. I think it would make me the biggest star in boxing since Mike Tyson. If I do beat that record, you're in brilliant hands when, with. When I beat that record. When there you go. When not if. You're in brilliant hands with Francis Warren managing you. Frank Warren promoting you, as he yep. said. You know, he 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 loves the fact it's given him a lease of life. That you've got this challenge. He's got this young heavyweight who yep. could really go to the top. Obviously, he's got Tyson Fury. Um, he's got Daniel Dubois, he's Dangerous. got other fighters, or so many great heavyweight mm. fighters. Um, you chose Dan Woolwich Jr. as your as your coach. What was the reasoning behind that? 
No, so, like, um, down the St. Mary's boxing gym when I first walked into, there was like four or five coaches there. And um, Dan Woolage, like, even after COVID, um, that I was still training with Dan Woolage Senior. And then when I turned pr professional, um, Dan Woolage Senior was with my brother. And I just, Dan Woolage Junior was also on GB, Box 4. Box for England had like 85, 90 amateur fights, so he definitely knows his way around the sport. And um, yeah, I just, he became my main trainer and then Junior, my, my, my hands up. Second, sorry. You're still a teenager. It's, it beggars belief to, for me to say that. You're a teenager. Um, is it tough doing all the media responsibilities? I mean, I had to literally drag you here to get to the I didn't really yeah. but it it's not easy I imagine because you have to project yourself you know it's a sport of hype and promotion all your stuff in the ring mm. is what talks for itself anyway of course. but the outside stuff's important as well are you learning about that yeah of course I always give myself free strikes so if I do something wrong free strikes then I've got to punish myself in some sort of way well, how do you do that and then I don't know I haven't, I haven't been nothing on free put strikes put your boots yet. on and go for a <laughs> run or no I don't know I haven't, I haven't thought of anything yet but I feel like with the media and all this and that I'm just learning with it like, like you said I'm only 18 um i'm young so i'm learning with not even just media with life in general mm. um so yeah like obviously if i'm 28 and i'm still making the same mistakes then that's a problem but as of right now i'm take i have took a lot of pressure on myself because my excuse is i'm young dumb and you know you know the rest but is it what's your cheat day then when you have a day off what's your cheat day what do you do um, what do you know. eat? What do you go and do? What do you What do you watch? What do you see? How do you dance? How late do you stay out? All those things. No, I don't really have cheat days. Like, really? Yeah, like it's even with camps. Like I'm not really in camp. Like when I'm when I'm boxing, it's just like every day of my life is like a camp. If you get what I mean. So really, um, every day of your life is camp. That's yeah, how dedicated you pretty, are. Pretty much. So like, obviously I have rest days, but it's like my training from when I'm not when I'm not boxing and when I am boxing it's completely the same it's just my training would be more intense mm. so I still train twice a day every day apart from Tuesdays and Saturdays um like everything I have SNCs the same day my boxing sessions my runs actually I leave the runs out but you don't I, like running I, I don't no, I hate running but it's one of them things you got to do um is that on the treadmill or is that on the roads? It depends. 5 a.m. in the rain with a hood it depends. up? Rocky style? <laughs> no, you know what? It's, it's 4 a.m. actually. Is it really? <laughs> 4 a.m.? Yeah, but I don't go to sleep, so it's, um, it's a bit different. But yeah, even when, when I was a kid, I used, to, um, I used to wake up before school, used to go around with me, my brothers, me, my brothers, uh, Lewis Southgate and Sam Dawson, we all used to meet at my house, 10K run. Um, before it's school it's phenomenal That's cra it's crazy and I remember my brother he always used to speed up and obviously made me keep up with him and I just remember one time I started crying because obviously I didn't know my way home and um, <laughs> lost in the dark and he just sped up so I had to literally keep up with him and I was literally like like I said 10 11 years old so um yeah time's changed now and um yeah I'll do I'll do I'll do running treadmill and and road depends do you obviously there's this mike tyson record are you projecting towards that but do you 
play computer games at home? Do you? How do you actually relax? What do you do? Um, no, I'm not really. No, not I'm computers. Not really, no. So what are you doing to relax? You into music, movies? What is it? I don't know. I just, I just chill. <laughs> really? You I literally got, just chill. I got a clue. I'll probably go to a restaurant. Um, probably go shopping. Um, cinema. I don't know. Are you saying you're boring? Uh, I am a little bit. I need, I need to spice up my life a little bit, innit? I don't think so. <laughs> I think you're doing absolutely the right thing. You can have a long life after boxing. Uh, exactly. Like, you was asking me, like, if I do, do I drink or do I do this? I feel like there's a time and place, and at the minute, I don't think mm. the right time is to do any of that stuff. Like, a lot of my mates as well that I grew up with were very good boxers, but now they ain't boxing no more, and... Obviously, I don't want to mention what what was what they're doing, but I feel like I can just do that after boxing. Like I can make more money or build my career and legacy. Do you traveling? Have your children exactly. afterwards? And then when I'm when I'm thirty, forty year old, then I can start doing madnesses. But as of right now, I don't I'm think just, you will. I don't. I don't know. It's only time can tell in it. But as of right now, I don't believe like should be doing any of that stuff anyway do, do you always find or do you find that having f having discovered this thing you love in your life and these aims that it is actually a blessing to have it that that it is uh, a pathway that has stopped you having to go down different routes to discover you almost know who you are at a young age francis says you're in it for your, your manager francis says he's 18 but he's got a 28 year old head on him and it mm. does seem like that. Yeah, no, the only reason why that is is because like I've never really been like growing up with the boys down the gym, that was never my age. Like I had probably my best friend Tyrone growing up. Mm. He was the only one my age that I used to speak to. Everyone else was my brother's age or older, so um you can you can say that I'm mature for my age. But yeah, like like you said, I got an old head on the young Actually, I've got an old body as well, so... <laughs> <laughs> literally, my shoulder's been killing me because I slept on the wrong side, so literally, like my coach said as well, I'm getting old. <laughs> do you dream, do you visualise a lot the future? No, because I don't... I don't, I don't think that visualising the future is going to get you anywhere. It's like... I do it when I'm running okay. or like when I'm training. Yeah. But like apart from that, like you don't you don't just think like I don't believe in none of the manifestation and all this. I just believe like you gotta go out and work because it's no good me sitting at home praying for a Lamborghini and Lamborghini's not gonna be outside. So yeah, like oh, so you like a bit of bling then? You like a little bit of? Mm, I'm more of a classy guy. Like I was just an example. I know people like Lamborghinis. I'm more of a Bentley type. So Jaguar. No, not really. Oh, you won't like my old Jag sitting outside <laughs> then. Um, tell me about this story. This is this is what fascinates me. You were so into it. We know what a, a beer moth, what a giant Joe Joyce is. You would leave school when you were 15, three years ago, three mm. years ago, 15, mad. to spar with Joe Joyce after school. Yeah, well, how did that come about? No, so obviously I had spar with Joe Joyce, but then I had to get ready for my GCSEs. So, um... <laughs> My my coach was like, right, I need to pick you up at this time from school and we go straight to sparring. And I was like, yeah, but I'll go, go and get my stuff. He was like, no, I'll take your boxing stuff to school. So literally, I turned up to school with all my boxing stuff and everything. 
and went straight to the, straight to Joe Joyce's gym in North London. Um, and yeah, turned up in my school clothes or whatnot, and yeah, started sparring. It's crazy. And I remember, um, I literally just had tests and everything, and I got in the ring and I was yawning. And then um, uh, Steve, his coach, he was like, "Oh, like, what's the problem or whatnot?" I said, "I had tests all day. I'm, I'm tired, and I got a spar." And then literally got in there, done done my work, and yeah. How many so rounds did you do with him then? Six. So. As an amateur, Enjoy as a fifty, um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. It's with with boxing. It's not one of them things you you like enjoy. I, I, I don't mean enjoy. I mean, did you get a lot out of it? Is what yeah, I mean. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, of course. Talk, talk to me about it without describing it in detail. Was it obviously you knew who Joe Joyce was? Mm. Like, what you wait? What do you mean? What did you get out of it? What did you have to do in there? Did you have to let your hands go? Were you putting pressure on him? It's just, it's just sparring. I never really think of anything like, obviously, if there's a challenge, I overcome it. But I don't realize that I have, if you get what I mean. So, um, yeah, obviously, I get something out of every sparring session I do. I just don't realize it. Who are the other heavyweights that we'd know you sparred with then? Um, it's not really a heavyweight, but a Coley. He was oh the yeah, first, Lawrence Coley. He was the first big like sparring mm. I had as when I was fifteen. Awkward, yeah, very awkward, very awkward, and I was I was only a little kid as well. But um, yeah, Coley, Dubois, uh, Joyce. Dubois, how did you find Dubois? Yeah, it was very, strong was jab. Yeah, very nice, no, quick jab. It's quick very, jab, very quick jab. Um, we didn't see it enough on Saturday. Night. No, we didn't. Um, yeah, so it was prep. It was preparation for the European Championships. Shane McGuigan. I think this was when he was meant to spar. Uh, he was fighting the New Zealand guy or the Australian guy, and his la uh, the fight when Fury boxed. Yeah, so he had a southpaw, and obviously Shane McGuigan asked me for sparring, and I was like, "Yeah, why not?" And yeah, we've done loads around Fury so. yet. Tyson uh, Fury. I'd love to. I'd love Would to. You? And he's even said that if he ever gets to fight with Fuzik. If Once you're up, obviously it. Southpaw. Yeah, 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 he said if he ever gets it. So, so we can expect you to fight next, and then spar with Tyson Fury in the lead up to the Usyk fight. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm, I'm, I'm hundred percent down. But like I said, is this fight ever gonna pull off? Oh, I think it will. I, I hope. Too it much does. money, too big a fight, too era-defining. I hope it does. Do you beat Usyk now? Yeah, I believe I believe so. Like I said, I was sitting in that fight. I was watching the fight, thinking I can beat, I can beat these both. And even when I got home, like all my mates goes, "What do you reckon of the fight?" And I said, "Like, oh, I tell him what, what I reckon." He's like, "You'd beat both of them now." And you know what I mean? So even my brother, like he said it as well. So yeah, I do believe I can beat both of them. But like I said, I got to get through these challenges that I got now in my way. Anthony Joshua. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit tougher as well. But like I said, I do believe so. I wouldn't. You I mean, won't meet these guys in your era, most likely. I believe though. I could. I reckon I could. What if you think if in two years, if I want to beat that record, I believe I will meet some of them. Do you but think? Do you think Usyk and and um, Dubois will be? Do you think Usyk and Joshua and Wilder will still be around in two years' time? I don't know. I'm not sure they will. You know. We'll see. In it, we'll see. And if you're progressing fast, I'm not sure they'll want to step in the ring with you <laughs> at that point because they'll be starting to become Listen, old men by if then. They, if, they, if they don't think that they can win, they're in the wrong sport. Well, uh, they wouldn't be in this sport if they don't think they can win because, 
Listen, every like Flo Melva said, every fighter's got to believe that he's the best. If not, then they're in the wrong sport. That is called self-belief. I'm here with Moses Itama. Up next, Dr. Muhammad Enayat joins me. He's going to speak to me about the situation for Conor Ben and Clomiphene. Fascinating stuff. He has detailed and explored forensically and has the theory, scientifically, that Conor Ben consumed clomiphene through food not a banned substance up next Welcome back to Fight Club here on Boxing Social. I'm Gareth Davis, Moses Itauma, the young heavyweight sensation in the studio with me. But we're joined now by Dr. Mohamed Inayat, who is the founder of Human, as you can see on his green shirt, but Human with a two in it. Great to see That's you, right. Doctor. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm very welcome today. How are you? Very good, thank you. Let me ask you first of all about the company. Um, what are you doing there with with Human? Yeah, so basically, we're a healthcare clinic that helps all of our patients be the everyday athlete to perform in their day to day lives. We do real deep personalized testing. We call it personalized medicine, where we find your personal imbalances through testing. We correct them through lifestyle, nutrition, and supplement strategies. Um, and then we also have within the clinic a suite of therapies that are very safe, things like high-pressure oxygen therapy. You might have seen the likes of Djokovic, Ronaldo use these devices, whole-body cryotherapy, ozone therapy, intermittent hypoxic, hypoxic training. Basically, I find devices and technologies from around the world that help people perform the best they can. Um, and then over the last couple of years, we've been starting to work with more and more athletes who are looking to to find ways that they can um, improve their performance, but in a safe, effective, natural way. Sounds like a sci-fi movie. Oh man, I love it. I really do enjoy it. I've been a doctor for 15 years. I still work as a GP part-time. Um, and so for me, being a scientist by nature, it's real... It, it is it is it is sci-fi i feel like uh you know pinch myself that i get to do this and i get to create a type of healthcare that makes such a huge difference to people obviously um you have a resonance at the moment uh, um uh, a prevalence in in boxing because of your scientific investigations into connor ben's situation with clomiphene um let me ask you first of all You've analysed um, his situation with clomiphene and you've come up with findings that help him in this situation. That's right. I mean, he, he was introduced to me um, long after the, the hearing. So I, I first came across Connor in March, April, just to, just to work with him for his wellness. Um, um, and we first did our screening bloods. And in our screening bloods, we look at, you know, imbalances, not just for something that's really wide outside of normal medical ranges. We found in that initial set of bloods, some imbalances in his hormones, something we call estrogen dominance. And we're seeing that a lot in society, in men who are having higher estrogen than they should have. Um, and 
that the reason there's a bunch of reasons I won't go into, but essentially because of the, our environment that we live in now, we have a lot of hormone disruptors coming through the foods that we eat and toxins that we consume in society. That led me on to then do some more detailed testing, genetic testing, to look for is there any specific pathways within his detoxification genes that means that he cannot remove estrogen or hormones as well as someone else because that has an implication on how he feels how he operates day to day um, and lo and behold he had a double mutation which is a strong mutation in the gene that's specific for removing or recycling estrogen and also subsequently found out it's also related to clomiphene so for us at that point we were like okay there's a reason why he accumulates clomiphene more so than others and I presented that back to him and uh, Rene Cariol, who was, you know, he was working with him at the time, introduced me to, to Connor. Um, and then I, we, we suggested that could this be a reason why he's accumulating? Not we weren't concerned at that point of how he got there. We then went to find the experts in, in clomiphene pharmacology, people that had worked in Institute of Doping, two scientific experts, and we presented the VADA test results, the actual amounts of clomiphene that presented in his urine, the actual breakdown products of the specific type of clomiphene that was found in his urine, the amounts, and also the information that we had, the blood test results. And everyone concluded conclusively that the amounts and the type of clomiphene that was found in his urine were consistent with the type of clomiphene that is found when chicken are injected with clomiphene so that they produce more eggs and therefore coming through eggs rather than a different type of breakdown of clomiphene that's produced when you directly ingest it as a human being. Um, and it's on the basis of all of that information that we presented this um, and we took this forward because we now had a, a real rationale and reason as to why he tested positive for very small amounts. And um, we feel like this was a quite a breakthrough in um, looking at uh, doping, particularly with clomiphene in athletes. So just to reiterate then, you can categorically say from your scientific research that the clomiphene that was found in his VADA tests is consistent with the consumption of food and definitely not with a pill, if you like, that would contain clomiphene. Absolutely. From all of the studies that have been conducted to date, there has been one um, quite a monumental study which showed and compared the oral ingestion from uh, from uh, adults of, of clomiphene to dope and they tested the urine of those versus a number of participants that had eggs that had been injected with clomiphene and they had different types of breakdown products in their urine and the VADA test that Connor had shows that the metabolites of the clomiphene that he tested positive for were consistent with those of those participants that had it from eggs so, you know, in all, there's a lot of supportive evidence here, which is quite unshakable in many ways. I believe, you know, I'm not a doping expert as per se, but we have the doping experts that we brought on to kind of um, to help us on this journey of understanding, really, um, this more and more. And everyone that we've spoken to, the experts in the space, you know, have suggested and, you know, conclude that this this is consistent with uh, with um all ingestion from eggs do you believe then um and you don't have a or even the fact he's a client but you don't have um any grounds there's no for, agenda 
there's no agenda exactly there do is you no believe agenda. that this evidence will get him exonerated within strict liability on clomiphene i believe it should do yes yeah, yeah I, I should it should be considered uh, it needs to be considered it needs to be heard um and it needs to be pre presented and we're hoping to speak with ucad they've asked for us to wait until they've concluded their hearing uh, before they'll speak to us because they're in discussion with um, Connor's legal team at the moment. And so they said, once we've concluded with that, we're happy to, uh, we want to engage with, with this, which we, you know, we, we feel, we feel this has a kind of a, a bigger implication for the way we test in sports. Mm. Um, we need to consider individuals biology. Um, and this is the move within healthcare that's happening that we're on the crest of a wave of, that you know, we no longer need to treat everyone the same when we now have the sciences evolved to be able to understand you as an individual, you, Gareth, why do you have certain health conditions or why are you testing positive for this? Um, and to consider that in the full context. So Dr. E, finally, do you believe that your findings are groundbreaking in that, and I'm kind of reiterating what you've just said there, there but, but encapsulating it, that we may have to look at the way anti-doping is done with every individual and it may change the system and the way that they do test and the way the labs test absolutely i think we need to be testing someone's bloods mm. not how about just a blood passport how about my my, uh, my advocacy is when someone turns pro or when someone joins the professional ranks that you have a blood passport if you if you like that's tested regularly um, throughout your career, maybe even every few weeks, that's homogenous through one organisation, so that everybody's blood is tested. Is that possible? If you had a blood passport to check absolutely. on whether there's changes? Yeah, absolutely. Because currently in doping, we're just testing the urine, and we're looking for breakdown products of certain things, mm. and we then we don't have the full context of that individual's health. And all, you know, we should be testing their blood work for all of their hormones, their micronutrients, their deficiencies. We're going to find people that have pre-diabetes. We're going to have find people that have excess uh, stress response. I mean, I've worked with athletes, some of the most elite athletes, and they're breaking out with cold sores and having immune, you know, they're getting the cold and the flu the week of their fights. And this shouldn't be the case. You know, medicine and sports medicine is all about getting someone physically in the right, right space, but not generally in their health state in the right space to be able to be safe in the ring and then also to be safe after the fight or the after the event absolutely and, um, fascinating absolutely fascinating i do I think, think and, uh, we'll see big changes with the advancements in science and technology really yeah i think we have to embrace them because they can they can transform the way the athlete's health is during and we also need to consider the long-term health of our athletes you know all of the, especially in the fighting uh, industry, they take a lot of damage. And we need to be caring for our athletes to make sure that we're minimizing the impact of that damage, but ensuring that there's, they're the healthiest going in and then the healthiest coming out. And I don't think we do that enough, particularly in boxing. When we compare that to the UFC, the UFC has a fantastic performance institute. They have a methodology of testing. They have all the athletes go through uh, functional blood testing, a bit like what we do at Human. Uh, they have access to the right supplements that they need to be on they're just you know they, they they're a lot more holistic in looking at the athlete in the short term there is also some concerns with within uh, mixed
martial arts as for a separate discussion with regards to concussions. I think boxing has done very well to kind of minimize and and uh, and look at concussion uh, risk, but I think there's more that there's more that can still be done for the long term health of the athletes, both in MMA and also in uh, boxing. Dr. E, absolutely incredibly fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Absolute pleasure. Have a great day, guys. Cheers. There's so many advancements going on in technology at the moment, and maybe testing systems need to change. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah, 100%. We, um, obviously, boxing is a hard sport as it is, but definitely need to have the clean, clean hearts as well. And I love the fact that he's saying when we analyse fighters, we can see the deficiencies in iron, potassium, um, metabolites. It's crazy, isn't it? Get yourself signed up. No, I need to. It's not only for your advancement, but maybe for your protection as well. From just general health as well, isn't it? General health, but also for metabolites shows up. As he's saying with Conor Ben, showing up that clomiphene was from food consumption. Mm. There's evidence that you can go against strict liability if something does show up in the testing system. Makes sense. It, it, it's, it's a complex and grey area. We're back next with this man, his career, the end. Well, what a packed show we've had today. It's back to Moses Itauma. Moses, when are you out next? Um, I'm out on the Joe Joyce versus Zhang 2 undercard, so in about three weeks. I think it's September 23rd. So you're still hard in sparring at the moment then? Yeah, of course. Yeah, sparring tomorrow, sparring Friday. Yep. We've taken time out from your schedule today, then we appreciate you no, being in the studio. It's all good, it's all good. Like, um, I just got to work around training. Tuesday's my rest days anyway, but um, yeah, I've got, I got strength and conditioning later because I've missed so many days where I was in Poland with Daniel Dubois. Do you have to be patient in terms of where you are at the moment? Because surely you probably feel you could be everyone. As you said earlier, you could feel you could be everyone at the moment. But do you have to be patient about your progress? Yeah, no, 100%. I was literally, I was saying to the boys the other, um, yesterday that I was watching the fight thinking I can beat both of them. So Both you sick? And the boys, so I was just kind of irritated. But obviously it's a good experience. And I do believe my time will come and it's right. Obviously when God gives it the nod. And that Mike Tyson record? Do you think about it every day? No. Um, I used to, not anymore, because it's like, it's such a, it's a goal that's so far away. It's like, I've got to take the mini steps to get there. So, obviously, like in the Europeans or the World Championships, you're always going to think about the final. You have to get through your next opponent. So, yeah, 100%. Is there one thing you keep in your head the whole time that keeps you grounded and keeps you on the right track and in your lane? No, not really. Like, I just, like... My parents installed very good discipline in me and I believe that's what got me to where I am now because you're never always going to be motivated. So like, it's just discipline that's carried me through boxing, really. Never change. It's been brilliant to have you on the show today. We wish you all the best uh, with your career and we'll be following it in much. detail. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
Moses Atalmam. My thanks today to Frank Warren, Fran Hennessy, and Dr. Mohammed Enayat for being on Fight Club here on Boxing Social. We'll be back with a new series very soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.